Amen. Good morning, church. I was unmuted for a minute. Good morning, church. Uh, welcome to the last month of the first quarter. Uh, we have 25 days left and the first quarter is over. And what it tells me that time is going very fast. How many of, how many of you felt like just yesterday we said Happy New Year? And now 25 days left to finish the first quarter. So uh, plan, strategize and take action because time is of the essence. Amen. Uh, learn how to pray the prayer that Lord help me to redeem the time for the days ahead are evil. You know, before Paul gave that instruction, he said that don't walk as fools. So if you don't, if you don't put time in proper perspective, uh, the Bible says you're a fool. And I believe none of us are fools. Amen. We like, let's, 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 let's get into the moments. Let's come off postponing. And, and putting things off and get to the job, okay? Let's get to the job. Uh, we, human beings by nature, we just like to give a lot of resolutions. I will, I will, I will, I will, I will. Uh, change the I will to I've done it. Uh, so I, I pray that all of us, whatever goals and plans, personal aspirations that we have, I pray that may God help us to fulfill it. That it's, it's also going to take effort and some muscle on your part to get it done. Amen. I'm also glad this much because it's the spring season. Uh, and the spring flowers become beautiful. So I pray that may that season mirror your life. May God make your life beautiful in, in this new season we find ourselves in. Amen. Let me shout out my homeland, Ghana. It's our Independence Day, 65. Bless God for Ghana. Amen. All right, last week we continued our series, A Preview of Grace in the Old Testament. We learned about God's heart towards Jonah. Uh, even though he walked in disobedience, God still extended grace to him. And even though chapter 2 is about Jonah being in the belly of the will, I, I think there is a bigger picture there. You see the heart of God there. And why do I say that? Because Jonah didn't die in the belly of the will. He should have died. Right? Jonah is in a place, where is he going to have oxygen? In the belly of the whale, is there oxygen? But he didn't die, that's a miracle. And like I said last week, it's possible that he died. And it's possible he experienced a touch and a resurrection of, 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 of God in his life. Amen. Uh, he didn't stay in the belly of the whale permanently. Uh, that's a whale's meal. Why will a whale vomit out its food? That's my food. Yeah, but Jonah didn't stay there. And you know why he didn't stay there? It's because of God's heart. God's heart didn't allow him to stay there. And uh, most importantly, God listened to him, even though he was disobedient. You know, so God is not done with us yet. Amen. He, 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 he listened to Jonah's prayer, even though he didn't even pray right. Jonah is in the belly of the whale and he's comparing himself with Ninevites. He said, people who follow after idols, and he was talking about the Ninevites because they followed after idols. They don't experience your mercy because you have for, they, they forsake your mercy. 
But I, I, I will offer sacrifice of shouts of praise. But Jonah was a disobedient prophet. That he didn't talk about. So it wasn't Jonah's prayer that warranted him deliverance. It was God's heart of grace, love, and mercy towards Jonah that warranted Jonah's deliverance. Amen. So God has such a big heart. Uh, and, and that's something that Christians have to know. Amen. Many people struggle to understand the nature of God, the character of God, the heart of God. And I think uh, this book shows to us who God's heart is. Amen. So now let's move on to our third installment by reading chapter 3. But I just want to start with the first four verses and then we will proceed. Jonah chapter 3, verse 1 to 4. Jonah chapter 3, verse 1 to 4. I believe by now all of us know where the book of Jonah is located. Amen. So I read. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach to it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city a three-day journey in extent. And Jonah began to enter the city on the first day's walk. Then he cried out and said, Yet forty days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to hear your word. Breathe upon your word, revelation. Breathe upon your word, illumination. Become the inspiration behind this message. Let this message be written on the tables of our hearts, Lord. Uh, may we not forget this message. Above all, may we be doers of this word, sparking us a conviction, O Lord, by hearing this word, sparking us a passion, O Lord, for you, O Lord, and for your service. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, verse 1 started with, and God spoke to Jonah the second time. God is a speaking God. If you read the immediate verse, after chapter one, after chapter three, which is verse 10 of chapter two, the Bible lets us know that God spoke to the fish and the fish vomited out Jonah. And then verse one of chapter three, the next chapter, the Bible lets us know that God spoke to Jonah again the second time. Uh, may I say something to you? God is not done with you yet. When you walk in disobedience, he's not done with you. There are, there are some people who are very good at excommunicating people. Like, oh, you've done something wrong, so I'm not going to speak to you again. God is not like that. God will always speak to you. He spoke to Jonah who was disobedient. He still spoke to him again. Amen. God will never cut you off. Okay? He will never cut you off. That is his grace. He will always speak to you. He won't, he, won't, he won't practice the art of cold war. We are not on speaking terms. God will always speak. You're encouraged by that. Amen. Even though Jonah walked in disobedience, and even though all of us have walked in disobedience, God will still speak to us. God will still answer our prayers. Not because sometimes we merit that, but it's because of his gracious nature. And when I'm talking about disobedience, I'm not just talking about outright rebellion. 
Because sometimes when we look at disobedience, we will look at outright rebellion. That's you didn't do what God told you to do. Like in the case of Jonah, outright rebellion. But let me tell you, delayed obedience is disobedience. God told you to do something on Monday, you did it on Wednesday. That's disobedience. <laughs> Are you understanding me? It's delayed obedience. Delayed obedience is disobedience. And partial obedience is disobedience. Not doing the whole counsel of what God has told you to do. Jesus said something very important. Jesus was very obedient. He said, I came in the volume of the book. That means he came to fulfill everything that was in the Bible. That's obedience. And I came in the volume of the book. He didn't just come to do anything. He came to make sure that everything that he did was in accordance with the word. that He fulfilled everything. He said that I came to fulfill the word that even at the, the jots and the title of the word. Right? The jots and the title are punctuation marks of the Hebrew text. He said, I came to fulfill everything. So in today's language, you will say, I came to fulfill everything that even the comma and the full stop will be fulfilled. That's what Jesus was saying, jot and tittle. That was how obedient he was. So even Christians, sometimes we partially obey God. Partially. God tells you something and then you do 50% of it. It's still disobedience. But can I tell you that God will not freeze you out and he will not have a cold war with you. As far as we are in this era of grace, he is still going to extend grace to you, not to enable you to sin, but to bring you to a place of repentance where you will come back and pick up what you have abandoned. So in this particular case, God had to speak to Jonah again, not because he was enabling him to sin. God had to speak to Jonah again to bring him back to the realization of the forsaken assignments, the forsaken commandments. Someone may be listening to me and you are stuck in a very hard place. You want to bind demons. Don't bind demons. Ask yourself, have I obeyed everything that God has told me to obey? Because sometimes one of the ways God will, will draw you to himself is when you are in a very uncomfortable situation. For Jonah, his was in the belly of the will. He had to be in an uncomfortable situation to be drawn back to the fact that I need to pick up the assignments that I have initially disobeyed God. Amen. So that was God. He still spoke to, to Jonah. So we, we bless God that God is not like certain human beings. When we miss it, he will still continue to speak to us. He will speak to us. And that's why when a Christian is overcome in sin, don't run away from God. Don't run away from God. Come to God. God will not forsake you. God will actually correct you he will not enable you to continue doing the sin. He will actually correct you. And when he corrects you, he will give you an opportunity to go back to the thing that you have disobeyed and make it right. It's all part of training and growing to becoming a disciple of God. Amen. Now, if you read verse 2, you realize that God's agenda still didn't change. He didn't change his agenda. We did chapter 1. He gave Jonah the assignment. Go and preach to the Ninevites. Now, when Jonah came out of the belly of the whale, that assignment didn't change. He still told Jonah, go and preach to the city of Nineveh. 
the city of your sworn enemies. Who made, who are your captors? Go and present. The, the assignment didn't change. I've come to realize in this work of faith with God, if you want to be used of God and by God, learn how to put aside your feelings. It can't be in your feelings. It can't be in your feelings. You think God really cares about your feelings, whether you talk to that person or you don't talk to that person? That's not really matter to God. It might matter to some people, but it doesn't matter to God. To God, all that he sees is that you are all one, you are all creation. And everybody deserves to hear the gospel. So the assignment didn't change. He still said, go and preach the gospel. And this should teach us something about how we should relate with our enemies. We are not Old Testament saints or of the Old Covenant where we practice a tooth for a tooth, an eye for an eye. No. Here you will see the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob now becoming the God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ here. He is extending grace. Go and preach to your enemies. Go and preach to your enemies so that Israel will not only be the chosen generation, your enemies who have kept you in captivity will also be a chosen generation. They will be part of the commonwealth of Israel. They will also qualify to receive the law. They will qualify also to receive the blessings, the benefits, and the privileges of being under that covenant. Go and preach to them. It's a message of inclusion. In a world where there seems to be so much divide, Christians, let's not widen that gap. Don't build walls. Build bridges. Because the gospel is a message of reconciliation. And I don't know, sometimes I, I put myself in Jonah's shoes. I don't know how Jonah felt about this after he had come back from the belly of the whale. I don't know how he felt about it. But when we read the story further, the Bible lets us know that from where Jonah was to the city of Nineveh was a three-day journey. Jonah did it in one day. It, it speaks to us of the agency that Jonah had. And I'm even asking myself, so Jonah, did he have time to wash himself? Because he had been vomited out of the belly of the whale with all the vomit and the food and everything. Did he have time to wash himself? Because that would be one smelly preacher. Did he have time to wash? Because he was just by the, the shore of the beach. So I don't know whether he had time to wash himself or he was so consumed with the passion and the zeal of just doing the work of the Lord that he forsook his smell and his appearance and just went. But the bigger picture is that Jonah went. And when we read from verse 5 going, the Bible lets us know that he went and he preached the gospel to them. And he told them that if you don't repent, if you don't come to the Lord, in 40 days, Nineveh will be overthrown. And what got God's attention was the wickedness of the Ninevites. He said, if you don't go and preach to them and tell them that they should repent because of the height of their wickedness, the city shall be overthrown. It shall be a dislodged place. Jonah preached that. And now, I just want us to look at the reaction of the people of Nineveh. 
How do they respond to Jonah's preaching? I think this is something we can all learn from. So let's read from verse 6. So the people of Nineveh believed God, proclaimed a fast, put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. Then word came to the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne and laid aside his robe, covered himself with sackcloth and satin ashes, and he caused it to be proclaimed and published. Very important words. In this year of making Christ known, we have to proclaim the word, we have to publish the word. You see, when the king had the word, he didn't just keep the word to himself or uh, just around his uh, deity or his, his, his throne or the, the people around him. He made sure that the message was proclaimed and it was published. And if you look at Nineveh at that time, Nineveh was a city. That we are not talking about the country of Nineveh, just the city. It was more than 120,000. So he made sure that at least all the, the, the inhabitants of the city of Nineveh had this message. Very important. And by the decree of the king and his nobles saying, so now this is the king. He's heard the word. Let neither man nor beast, head nor flock, taste anything. You see, Pastor Steve is very kind. I just tell just you to fast. This king is telling them that it's not only human beings who are to fast. Cattle are to fast. Beasts are to fast. Do you want this guy as your pastor? Your cats, your dogs. Everybody is fasting because the word of the Lord has come to us. And now, do not let them eat or drink water, but let man and beast. Every animal will be covered in sackcloth. This will be a spectacle to behold. So if you have a cat, it's covered in sackcloth. If you had a dog, Ricky or Rocco, it's covered in sackcloth. Every, every animal, every human being, every animal is covered in, in sackcloth. Yesterday, I, I, I was just around my house. I just saw some ducks just walking about. If these ducks were in the day of Jonah, they will also be covered in sackcloth. I just pity the one who will go and catch them. Just go and catch the duck. Because they are very elusive. Everything is in sackcloth. And in ashes. In ashes. And cry mightily to God. Yes, let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who can tell if God will turn and relent and turn away from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. These people were pagans. These people didn't know God. I'm even asking myself, what caused the king to believe? Because it was a pagan society steeped in idol worship. What caused them to believe? But whatever be the case, when they heard the message, they believed. And I believe what caused them to believe is just the convicting power of the word. You see, when you, when you are going to preach the, the gospel, it is not about how oratorial you are, or how skilled you are, or how well you can present the message. The most important thing that you will have to know is that I am going with the power of the word. And in the power of the word lies conviction. 
that beggars beyond human belief. It beggars beyond human reasoning. I've preached to a Muslim who has given his life to Christ before. One day I preached to a Muslim. This is a Muslim who, 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 who was a trained Muslim from childhood. He left everything and said, I've received Christ my Lord and personal Savior. I'll follow you. Just like that. It's not because I was wise. It's not because I know how to talk. It's not because I'm already... I, I don't believe in that at all. I don't believe in that at all. I don't believe in that at all. I believe what really happened was just the convicting and the arresting power of the gospel. That's what you have to know. So if you are going to preach the gospel, relying on skill, relying on wit, relying on how well I can speak, you are not going to do much for God. And this is one of the big problems why many Christians develop a pushback for witnessing. Because they say to themselves, instead of them relying on the power of the gospel, they rely on their ability, the limits of their ability. I can't speak. I'm tongue-tied. I don't know too much scripture. And it's not about that. It's about the power that is vested in this gospel. That's all that matters. So when you are going to preach the gospel, rely on the power of the gospel. That is what will bring people to Christ. It's not about you. I don't know how eloquent Jonah was. But Jonah just went in childlike obedience and presented the raw power of the gospel, which has power to convict people, which has power to cause people to believe. And these were people who have never worshipped God. They might not even know who this God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were, but they were prepared to forsake all their idols. They were prepared to forsake their lifestyle. They were prepared to make a, 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 a turnabout of their lifestyle. They did a 180 degree turnaround. Why? Because there is power in the preached gospel. So therefore, Christian, the power is in your mouth. Learn how to open your mouth and share the gospel. Share the gospel with that auntie. You see, you might think that she might never come to Christianity. You might think that she might never receive Christ because you are thinking too much about it. Share the gospel which has enough power to convict people. That's, That's it. So Jonah did that to a pagan society and they believed. And when they believed, that was the king. He sent an order. Sent an order. He said, we are going to call a fast. That was repentance and sitting ashes. Last week, Wednesday, was Ash Wednesday. So we are in the Lent season now. And ashes those days, it signified to them they were sorry. It also signified to them that they are mortal. They consider their mortality. They consider that we are from the dust of the earth. So, when the word of God is preached to us, it should also give us an opportunity to think of our mortality. That we are nothing but flesh. They repented. Ashes. They wore sackcloth. Which meant that they were remorseful. They've repented. 
and then they fasted. In the Old Testament, one of the ways to ask God to pardon your sins was to fast. In the New Testament, that is not really the case because Christ has died on the cross and when he died, his sacrificial death has taken care of that. You don't fast to appease the anger of God. All right? We, we, we don't do that. What happens is that when we become Christians, we develop the attitude of fasting. But in the Old Testament, for you to appease the anger of God, you don't even have to be a Christian. When you fast, when you wear sackcloth and ashes, that does it. Right? Not really necessarily under the New, New Testament. But as Christians, we are all called to a place of fast. So this you have to understand the dispensation under which they, they were in. When true repentance is called for, it showed in posture, fasting, sackcloth, and then putting ashes upon yourself. Ashes so that you are dust. You are considering your mortality in front of an immortal God, knowing that one day I'm going to be judged. That's the significance of Ash Wednesday. It's not just about putting ash on your cross with the sign and then walking about saying, I am observing Ash Wednesday. It's deeper than that. You, when the gospel is preached to you, you have to come to a place where you recognize your mortality, that one day you are going to stand in front of an immortal God who is going to judge you. And I think these people recognize that in the moment. And that's why it caused their posture. But most importantly, they repented. And why did they repent? They repent because of the power of the preached gospel. And now look at the beautiful thing. Verse 10. Then God saw their works. That they turned from their evil way. How did they turn from their evil way? Was it because of action? No, it was just a response. Just a response. Just a response. God just looked at their response. They were fasting. All the animals were on a fast. All the animals. Horses will not even drink water. They are on a fast because we are a wicked nation. And if we don't fast to turn away from our wickedness, we could be in trouble. And the Bible says that God relented from the disaster that he has said he will bring upon them and he did not do it. So when I read this, this makes me see that 40 days passed. Because God says that in 40 days, if you don't repent, I'm going to overthrow your city. So when I read this scripture that God did not do what he did, it makes me see that between verses 9 and 10 is probably a long time. I don't believe that they are after each other. It makes me see that verse 9 and verse 10, probably there is a gap in between, probably a period of this. So probably after 40 days, Nineveh was not destroyed. And why were they not destroyed? Because they repented. But most importantly, it was because of God's heart of grace, love, and mercy. And God was making known 
a preview of what was going to happen in the new covenant. So go with me to Ephesians chapter 3. And let's read that. Ephesians chapter 3. Let me start from verse 3. No, let me start from verse 1. It will be better to start from verse 1. For this reason, I, Paul, I'm reading Ephesians chapter 3, verse 1. We'll be going. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which was given to me for you, how that by revelation he made known to me the mystery, as I have briefly written already, by which when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men. So Paul is saying that there is something called the mystery of Christ. And this mystery of Christ was not made known to sons of men in the other ages. So Paul is pointing to the dispensation of the old covenant where Moses, Jonah, and all those guys thrived or dwelt. They didn't know about this. Now, read on. As it has now been revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body. That means now, when you look at the Gentile and the Jew, there should be no schism. They are all of one body. And why are they all of one body? Because they have all received Christ as their Lord and personal Savior. And they have received the gift of righteousness by faith. I did this in the book of Romans. So if you do remember, I talked extensively about that. And partakers of his promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Now verse 7. Of which I became a minister according to the gifts of the grace of God given to me by the effective working of his power. So, based on this message, the sub-theme for this is the mystery of the gospel. So, Jonah had a preview of grace. And the preview of grace was to make known to Nineveh, who were Gentiles, the mystery of the gospel. And what was the mystery of the gospel? That... A time will come, there will not be a difference between a Jewish man like Jonah and an Ninevites. We are all one of the same body. We have no schisms. You know, in this world, there are many things that divides the world. Pay is one of them. Men are paid more than women. And now women are fighting for equal rights. We do the same work. We should all be paid the uh, uh, same. Which brings another... Uh, issue that divides sexism, male and female. It's, it's there. Race. There are things that divide us. And one of the things that the gospel didn't come to do was to add more prejudice to the prejudices that already existed. That's why the gospel is called the gospel of reconciliation. The gospel came that at the end of it all, when it is presented, we don't become widened in our differences but we will all become one in Christ Jesus. Whereby you will not see a difference between a Gentile or a Jew. 
but we are all one. In the eyes of God, God doesn't see difference like how we see difference. We will see difference by economy. We will see difference by race. We will see difference by military mites. Why do you think Russia is bullying Ukraine? Because of military mites. That's one of the things, one of the things they have that Ukraine doesn't have. So there are many differences, many layers of differences that has brought schisms in society. But what God sees is only one. Who is saved, who is not saved. That's the only difference. But thanks be to God that he brought a solution to abridge all of us that will be one. A preview of grace. He's showing Jonah that in ages to come, you need to do this because in ages to come, there will be no schism. There will all be one. There will be no difference between a Gentile like a Ninevite or a Jewish man who is of the stock of the seed of Abraham. Why? Because the gospel will unite us all that we will be of the same body and we will be fellow partakers of the promise that is in Christ. This is the mystery of the gospel. And thanks be to God that he has presented to us this gospel so that we will also present it to people not to promote prejudice that already exists. But we just come to unify and reconcile people so that at the end of it all, we'll all be one. The gospel has come to unify the white man and the black man. So that in Christ, there is nothing like he's white. I can't flow with him. He's black. I can't flow with him. He's Hispanic. I can't flow with him. We are all one. Why? Because we are of the same body and we are all partakers of the promise in Christ. If you can't think like that, if you can't think like that, you are not a new creation. You've not understood the gospel of grace yet. I find it funny that there are people who are Christians, but they still want to hold on to their traditional standards of prejudice, racism, their traditional uh, uh, dogmas, which is not sacrosanct with the gospel. And if you call yourself a true Christian, any thoughts, any, any motive that is not in line with the gospel, it needs to drop. It needs to drop. So this morning, let us make way for the, the Holy Spirit to set our thoughts, to set our patterns. And if it is not in line with the word of God, it has to drop. The Bible says that for the weapons of our welfare are not canal, mighty through God, to the pulling down of strongholds. Some of us have certain strongholds and it just promotes more prejudice, more schism, and more divide. It has to drop. We have to come to a place whereby the gospel which God has presented to us believers, which is the gospel of reconciliation according to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 to 21, that gospel that has been entrusted to us, it needs to reconcile the world back to Christ. Not just that, but it needs to reconcile relations between fellow humans that we will all be one. In Christ. This is the gospel. This is the beautiful thing of the gospel. The bigger picture of this is that Ninevites now are now part of the commonwealth of Israel. When God looks at Nineveh, he doesn't look at them as this is Nineveh, this is the Jewish race. He now looks at them as one. Why? Because they are all a kingdom 
of priests. They are all a chosen generation and they all have the opportunity to also experience the teaching of the law. Let's answer as we receive this message. Let us think of people who have not received the gospel so that they will receive the gospel because Christ came so that he will make known the mystery of the gospel. And what was the mystery of the gospel? That it's not only Jews who have the exclusivity or who have just only the rights to receive the gospel. But everybody, a Ghanaian, a British, an American, Italian, Hispanic, all of us can receive the gospel. And this has been made possible by the reconciling power of the gospel, which Christ is the mediator. Christ is the mediator. So ladies and gentlemen, let everything drop. The lesson that I want you to learn from this story is that nobody is too far to be reached by the hand of God and by the preaching of the gospel. Nobody is too far. Nobody is too far. The atheist is not too far. That wicked person is not too far. Let us share the gospel and leave it up to the power and the potency of the gospel. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. We bless your holy name. May this word call us into action. May it call us into action. I've declared your word to your people. Thank you, Lord. Father, from now on, may we be like the good Samaritan. Think of the welfare of people. Think of how we can reconcile the world full of prejudice and biases. May we not add to the schisms that has torn apart and and destroyed the fabric of relations in society. But may we be bridge builders because we carry in us the good news of the gospel of peace. Thank you, Lord, that we will not run from our assignments like Jonah. May this story give us hope that even as we have walked in disobedience, we know that you still love us. You will speak to us. You will form a relationship with us. And we thank you that based on the strength of our relationship with you, it will give in us that agency, that fire, that passion, and that oomph to go with the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.